Locked On Red Sox, your daily Boston Red Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're listening to this Red Sox podcast. It's the Locked On Red Sox podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mastrodonato from the Boston Herald, longtime sports reporter in Boston. I've been covering the Red Sox for 11 years, and we bring you this wonderful podcast Try to do it every day. I've been out for the last week plus, and my co-host Lauren Campbell from Nesson has done a great job filling in. She's out today. So it's just me, and I haven't watched a whole lot of the Red Sox until this weekend. And I've been keeping up on the news. I was moving. Um, unfortunately, that's always a pain, so I wasn't watching baseball. But wow, I mean, this is a different team. Something, Something's going on right now. This is not the team I was watching a week and a half ago. So there's a lot to talk about. We're going to get into it about how they're playing differently, what's going on with the COVID injury, uh, the COVID-related injury list and the 11 guys that are currently on there now for the Red Sox as of Monday. Uh, what's going to happen in this coming week? Are the wild card, uh, is the wild card race going to kind of end up the way it looks right now? I think there's a lot that could happen in the final three weeks. The schedules look pretty different for the various teams. You know, the Red Sox have a pretty easy schedule. The A's do not. So we're going to talk about everything going on with the Red Sox. Today's episode is brought to you by the Locked On MLB podcast, uh, featuring exciting guest interviews and routine check-ins from the Locked On MLB network team of local experts. Subscribe to the Locked On MLB podcast today on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So the Red Sox on Saturday, I thought played one of the most interesting games of the season. Uh, It was not supposed to be this way you know the lineup that they had in this game a guy named jack lopez who's 28 years old and never been in the major leagues before he had almost 900 minor league games uh was starting at second base jonathan arauz who was a rule five pick that ron renneke didn't even really want to take on the roster last year but kind of had to uh was the starting shortstop and the red sox won this game in i thought one of the most interesting fashions that we've seen them play in a long time so they had three sacrifice bunts and i know there's still a lot of controversy over how how effective is bunting is it worth it you're wasting an out you know the analytics say bunting is usually not worth it just like stolen bases if you're not stealing bases at 80 percent clip you're actually hurting your team's chances now i always think it's situational right i mean sometimes you're going to steal a base that you just need to steal and yeah the success rate might not be as high but in that specific situation Maybe you have to do it. I feel the same way about bunting. I think bunting is kind of an underrated part of the game now, and I think a big part of that is because so many of the players that come up from the minor leagues don't know how to bunt. They just can't do it. They're not teaching it the way that they used to. I mean, we're seeing the guys that are coming up, they're free swingers. They're hit home runs. It's okay if you strike out. Just hit homers. You know, launch angle. Drive the ball hard. You know, what's your hard hit percentage? What's your barrel percentage? Um, Guys don't care about bunting or situational hitting anymore. And this is what Alex Cora has been talking about all year with this offense. This is an offense that doesn't make a lot of contact. You know, from the trade deadline to currently today, as I'm talking to you, the Red Sox ranked 25th in contact percentage. And I talked a lot about this at the trade deadline, why I thought they needed to get a contact hitter. Somebody not like Joey Gallo. I was glad they did not get Joey Gallo. That's not the kind of player that would have helped this team. They end up getting Kyle Schwarber, who I think is a fantastic fit offensively. Obviously, defensively, not. 
but offensively certainly has changed the complexity of this lineup and how pitchers have to navigate it. But this is a team that doesn't make contact, and they got 11 guys on the COVID list. So they go into Saturday playing a different brand of baseball. It is a close game against the Indians. Obviously, the Indians aren't a great team, but let's not pretend like they're a walkover easy team. I mean, they're a 500 team. They've got some players over there. They play, they play tough, and it, they're in a close game with the Red Sox. And I love watching what happened in this game because three different times Alex Cora puts on a bunt play. Three times. Now, if you go back to 2018, the Red Sox bunted fewer times than any team in baseball. Okay, 2019, they bunted a little bit more, but still towards the bottom of the league. And Alex Cora is a guy that doesn't want to waste outs. But he looks at his team. He sees the roster that he has. He sees what's going on with the COVID list. He sees that they're not making contact. He sees they're not scoring runs the way he wants them to score runs. And he puts on three bunts in a game. They ha- the Red Sox haven't bunted three times in a game since 1993 when Butch Hobson was the manager. Okay, Alex Cora does not like to bunt, and they bunted three times in this game. Now, two of them were in huge situations that pretty much won them the game on Saturday. They won the game by bunting. Okay, an American League team, an American League game at Fenway Park, one of the most hitter-friendly parks in baseball, the Red Sox won the game by bunting. All right, the first one I thought was the most important uh, bunt of the game, which was to get Kyle Schwarber up. With a man in scoring position, to get a man in scoring position, rather, with Kyle Schwarber at the plate. I mean, he's their hottest hitter. So they bunt. They get to push a man into scoring position. It's a tie game in the seventh inning. 0-0. Now Kyle Schwarber's up. First base is open. Well, what are the Indians going to do? Obviously, they pitch around Schwarber. Schwarber draws a walk. Now there's two guys on. Rafael Devers is up. He falls to an 0-2 count. He fouls off some pitches. He gets a a pitch he can handle, destroys it. Three-run home run, 33rd of the year. That was all set up by a sacrifice bunt, all of it. So now they're up 3-0, going to the ninth. Adam Adovino coughs up three runs. You know, Adovino's been okay. Do you feel great about him closing games? Probably not. You know, he's 3-4 for closing games since Matt Barnes went out. Uh, He's, you know, you could do worse than Adovino. You could do better. It's one of those things that when we get to the postseason, it's going to be a rolling of the dice in the late innings to see what happens with the Red Sox bullpen. A real strength early in the season. Last month or two, not a strength, obviously. Barnes has been bad. Now he's on the COVID list. Adovino's pretty much been inconsistent, but sometimes great, sometimes not throughout the season. So Adovino just looked bad on this night. Gives up three runs. Indians tie the game in the ninth. Bottom of the ninth, what do the Red Sox do? They bunt again. They bunt again in the bottom of the ninth. I love seeing this. To get a man in a scoring position, then Devers is up. Well, now first base is open. They walk Devers. Now J.D. Martinez is up. They walk him. Now Alex Verdugo, well, they intentionally walked Martinez because there's a lefty on the mound. So now Alex Verdugo's up. Terrible against lefties all year. But because they had bunted originally to push a guy over now the bases are juiced all the pressures on the pitcher verdugo gets an easy sinker right over the heart of the plate i mean they had nowhere to put him i mean they had to pitch to him he hasn't been great against lefties but they had to pitch to him they had to throw strikes and verdugo crushes the line drive to the right field wall red sox walk off they win the game energy that's what this 
this game brought to the Red Sox, I thought. Energy. I talk a lot about energy. I know it's not a stat you can measure, but I think it's extremely important in all sports, but especially baseball. That's what that's what the bunting brought to this game. Energy. Because they're pushing guys into scoring position. They're reminding the offense that, hey, you don't have to hit homers. Yeah, Devers hit the home run, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can make contact. You could just push a guy over, and that's a productive at-bat. And when you're using guys like Jack Lopez and Jonathan Aruz, you need to do that. And good for them, by the way, getting bunts down. That's not easy. I mean, you see it all the time in Major League Baseball. Guys are throwing 100 with four different pitches and extreme break. It's not easy to get a bunt down. And they're not taught to bunt as much as they used to be in the minor league. So impressive job by them getting the bunts down. I just thought this was such an important win for the Red Sox on Saturday. I mean, they're just ravaged by COVID right now. 11 guys on the COVID list. It's just, it's a tough, tough go of it for them. The guys that they're being forced to use. We're going to talk about this a little bit in the second segment. This is a weird roster that the Red Sox are working with right now. And, that's why I thought Saturday's game was so important for them. So important. And Sunday's game, much different. We'll talk about that in a second. But what a huge win on Saturday. And Alex Cora saying afterwards, I'm managing differently now. I would not have done this early in the season. We're looking at this, and, and it's time for the manager. It's time for the coaching staff to take control. And that's what he did. He says, we're playing a different brand of baseball, which is great. I don't mind it. We're bunting. We're taking pitches. We're keeping the line moving. We're doing everything to maximize our lineup. Sometimes the roster is going to be different. It just happens that we started playing good baseball. They did. They started playing good baseball with so many guys on the COVID list. And that's going to be interesting to see what happens when these guys come back, how they start playing. So we got more coming up in the second segment. Please stick around. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV. Does this sound familiar? You get one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite show. You're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, how about one way to get everything all in one, get your TV together? It's called Direct TV Stream. It brings you your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before. You can watch sports, movies, and TV shows all in one place. No more juggling the remotes or trying to sign in on different devices And the best part, there's no contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion. Get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com, compatible device required. Content varies by package. This episode is also brought to you by Stat Hero. Do you know that 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose? Is it really that surprising the game is rigged against you? You're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention the experts on there with more tools and more times and algorithms. You really don't stand a chance. So Stat Hero is the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and winning within reach. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you the lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. Your name, your stakes, winner take all. You have the advantage. Stat Heroes is showing you their lineups ahead of time. No one else does that. You are in total control. Play Stat Hero now. Change the odds for you. Go to stathero.com slash locked on. Sign up for free. You can get three times back on your first play. They're giving you a 300% match. Unheard of. Go 300% match. So go to stathero.com slash locked on. Stathero.com slash locked on. So Sunday, so much interesting, or, or I'm sorry, so much different. I guess it was interesting, but so much different than Saturday. 
for the Red Sox. And and we're recapping the weekend here. I know it's Monday now. And and the Red Sox are playing on Monday. And we'll talk about that on Tuesday's show. But I got to recap the weekend because it was a f- really fascinating weekend. After Saturday's win with the bunting and the contact and they're playing different and Verdugo says we're finally playing team baseball again. You go to Sunday and the Red Sox lose 11 to 5. And I had a friend ask me on Sunday night. He said, "Man, they lost to the Indians, you know, what's going on? 11 to 5 to the Indians?" And I said, no, don't don't even read into it. I thought the Red Sox played a great game on Sunday. A great game. And this isn't me, you know, rah, 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 go Red Sox. I, anybody who's listened to me or read my stuff knows that you know, I'm equally as critical as praising them, if not more critical, because I think they're the Boston Red Sox. They should be, they should be good all the time. But they played a great game on Sunday. If you could lose 11-5... to 5, and play a great game, you're in a good spot. And that's what I thought happened on Sunday because Nick Pavetta came down with COVID on Saturday. And the Red Sox had 24 hours to find an emergency starter for Sunday's game. Now, they already scratched, or postponed rather, Cutter Crawford and Connor Siebold in AAA Worcester. And remember, this is a team that does not have a lot of pitching depth. And if you think back to 2011, for those of you old enough to remember what happened in 2011, one of the best Red Sox teams I've ever seen in 2011. Completely tanked in September for one reason and one reason only. No starting pitching depth. They traded for Eric Bedard, who didn't really do a whole lot. They had guys like Kyle Weiland starting important games down the stretch that year. Weiland really never seen after again in the major leagues. Um, that's what scares me about this Red Sox team is if someone gets injured in the starting rotation, or as we've seen, goes on the COVID list, they have no depth, none. So they go down to AAA. Connor Siebold pitched on Saturday or Friday, I can't remember, so they didn't have him available. So they go to a guy named Cutter Crawford, a 17th-round pick in 2017, actually doing pretty well in Worcester this year, a 4.13 ERA, 100 strikeouts to 13 walks, pretty good, pretty good. But, you know, he's got 24 hours to get from Rochester to Boston, he said he got no sleep, and he shows up on Sunday and gets rocked, predictably, right? I mean, five runs, two innings, just didn't have anything out there. Tough, you know, tough job, tough job for him. So the Red Sox immediately fall behind 6 nothing in this game, and then they go to a guy named John Schreiber, who I think pitched one inning for them in 2020. I can't remember. No, he was on the Tigers in 2020. So I had never heard of this guy. He pitches three innings of one-run ball, strikes out five with like this funky sidearm motion, does a good job, keeps them in the game. Then they go to a guy named Steven Gonzalez, never before on the Red Sox roster until this year, until last week. This guy's made like eight big league appearances, 27 years old, throws a scoreless inning. Then they go to Ryan Brazier, who's just back after basically missing the entire year, coming back from injuries and other things. Throws a scoreless inning. So the Red Sox first five pitchers they used, then they went to Hansel Robles. The first five pitchers they used in this game were not even on the roster five weeks ago. These are guys they just added. I mean, this is a true emergency. What's going on with the Red Sox pitching staff right now? It's an emergency. All these guys are new. Fresh faces, career minor leaguers getting called up. Guys who've been on the injured list all year getting traded from the Twins and Robles. And they keep the Sox in the game. They keep it to 6 nothing. 
The Sox come back and score three in the bottom of the fifth. They really should have put more on the board. They had runners on second and third with only one out. Uh, Schwarber didn't get it done in the fifth. I think Bob, Bobby Dahlbeck had a key key mistake in the fifth, a bad at bat. Sixth inning, J.D. Martinez hits a two-run homer, so they're only down six to five now. And I just thought the at-bats were great. You know, they only went for three for 18. It was runners in scoring position. Chorus had a lot of empty at-bats, but I actually thought they took really good at-bats on Sunday. I was impressed. You know, Schwarber, I think, has changed this entire lineup where he starts it off. I love him in the leadoff spot. I wonder what they're going to do when Kike comes back because Schwarber's been great in the leadoff spot. He's a perfect leadoff hitter. He doesn't swing at a single bad pitch. I, I don't know if I've seen him swing at a bad pitch. I'm sure he has. I'm sure it's happened. But in the month that he's been playing for the Red Sox, less than a month, all he does is take bad pitches, swing at good ones, draw walks, hit for power, hit line drives. I mean, the guy's an incredible left-handed hitter. There's no question about it. One of the best. And it looks like he picked up right where he left off before he got hurt with the Nationals this year. Uh, Going to be interesting in the offseason, what they do with Shore, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I think he's completely changed the complexity of this lineup for pitchers having to go through him at the top. And then Hunter Renfro continues to surprise me. I was dead wrong about this guy. I thought he couldn't hit righties. He's still hitting righties. I mean, really impressive to the point where you wonder if he's going to be, he's got to be in the starting lineup against a right-hander, even in the playoffs. Maybe maybe Verdugo's the center fielder now. Schwarber Martinez plays left field. One of them DHs. Dahlbeck looks like he's okay at first base now. You don't have to worry about that. Although if he cools off, maybe Schwarber goes to first, and now you move things around. But, you know, Christian Arroyo can play second if you want Kike in center. They've got some flexibility. But the lineup just looks different, and I thought they played a great game on Sunday. Bobby Dahlbeck played third base and made some great plays. By the way, is he a third baseman? Because to me, it's limited sample size, but he looks better at third than he does at first. And he looks better than Devers does at third base. He made a great play on the run to his right. Perfect throw to nail a runner at first base on Sunday. And I've been impressed with him at third. I don't think he's a very good first baseman, but I think he looks really, really solid at third base. Uh, You wonder what that means for the future, too. But all in all, I, I just thought they played a great game on Sunday. You know, they were right in it until the ninth inning. The problem was they had Garrett Whitlock warming. In case they tied it or went ahead in the eighth, they didn't. So they sit Whitlock down. Cora said his plan was to go to Robles in the ninth if they didn't score. Robles comes out of the eighth and says he's got a lat injury. He's hurt. So all of a sudden they go to the ninth, down one run. Looks like they're going to win this game. And Cora's got to call the bullpen and say, Philippe's Valdez, warm up real quick and come in this game. Valdez warms up quickly, comes in the game, gives up five runs, kills Kills the chances. They lose 11-5. to five. Again, I thought they played a good game, though. I, I, I wouldn't be too concerned. I think they're playing good baseball right now. Better baseball than we've seen from them in a long time. And they're doing it with 11 guys on the COVID list. So, Red Sox, to me, looking like a much better team than they were a few weeks ago. Looking like they have confidence. They have energy. They have a manager who's willing to switch things up to manage a different style. And... They're winning games. They're winning games in all different ways. And Verdugo said it's just like the beginning of the season. They were never out of it. And that's what it looks like. It's a much different team than they were two weeks ago. It's like the beginning of the season. They're playing team baseball. There's still a lot a lot of question marks. But they're playing much better. So coming up in the final segment, I'll give you my unpopular opinion. We'll end the show on a positive note. 
So stick around for that. We are brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar has so many delicious flavors. Coconut, Cherry Barcia, Raspberry, Mint Brownie, Double Chocolate, many more. Check them out if you haven't. You'll find them in the, in the protein bar section or the health food section of your grocery store. I think they're two bucks in the grocery store. I can't remember. I, I bought a few last week. Uh, but I love them. I think they're, they're the best protein bar you could get. Number one, there's no sugar. I mean, it's four or five grams of sugar. Look at any other protein bar. There's way more than that. So you're limiting your sugar. You're getting your protein. There's like 18 grams of protein in these. There's not a whole lot of calories, not a whole lot of carbs. You get what you need. It's a perfect on-the-run snack. And you order today, you can get the mixed box. So you get two of each of the nine flavors. That's a good way to go if you haven't had one before. So Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Promo code LOCKED15, 15% off, Built.com. It's that time of year again. All eyes are turning to football. Well, not quite. We've still got some baseball playoffs. But, hey, if you're into football... A lot of people are looking at football right now. So BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest and a 200000 NFL survivor contest open now, $200,000. Uh, head to the website. Sign up today. You'll get a 100% welcome bonus. So take advantage of that. They also have an opening day super promo for the September 9th season opener. Between the Bucks and the Cowboys, it's coming up Thursday. So if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers using the promo code NFL100. You could also use the promo code Locked On to get that big welcome bonus. So it's Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the show where we do the our unpopular opinions and positive takeaways. Lauren's not here today, of course. Uh, so I have an unpopular opinion for you today. We're looking at a Red Sox team that now has two DHs on it, J.D. Martinez and Kyle Schwarber. Now, Kyle Schwarber's a free agent after the season. J.D. Martinez has one year left on his contract, worth about $19 bucks. And J.D., of course, can opt out. I don't think he's going to. He hasn't had that good of a season. He's been fine. Uh, statistically, his worst full season since he broke out in that first year Uh when was it? Four, sorry, seven years ago. Um, but statistically, not his best season. You know, he's got an 868 OPS, a 286 average. It's not bad. These aren't bad numbers. But the worst since 2013 for him, other than 2020, which if you count it, whatever, he said he wasn't ready. He clearly wasn't. Looked like he gave up on that season quickly. He was just awful in 2020. So really, I mean, if you count that one, two of his worst seasons of his career. He's 34 years old. Is he going to opt out? Highly doubt it. Highly doubt it. So you have J.D. Martinez, and now you have Kyle Schwarber, who is a free agent after this year. And big reason why the Nationals traded him. I mean, they're not, they're not going to you know, keep him around and get nothing out of it. He's got an $11.5 million mutual option for next year. He's obviously going to get out of that because he's having a dynamite season. I mean, he entered Monday with 29 homers and a 935 OPS. He's only 28 years old. Alex Cora says he's going to be a great hitter for a long, long time. Hard not to agree with him there. He's been a great hitter. It's just a matter of keeping him in a defensive position that works for him. But if he's as good as a DH, if he's okay at first or okay in left field, there's some options here. 
So you've got two DHs. One of them's a free agent. What do you do with them? Do you try to sign Schwarber and keep him around? Do you trade JD? Do you just let Schwarber walk and come back next season with the same offense you have? So here's my opinion on this. It's early. It might change. We'll see what happens in the postseason. We'll see what happens in September. Right now, you got to ask me today what I would do. I'd trade J.D. Martinez, and I'd re-sign Kyle Schwarber for two big reasons. Number one, I think J.D.'s lost a step. I think even when he's been at his best this season, listen, he had a great April, right? He kind of carried the team on his back. Really good April. They needed him. They had not a lot going on. He carried them in April. Uh, but he's 34 years old, and I think he, he just seems like he's lost a step. He seems like whatever it is that works for him that's made him such a good hitter throughout his career, it's just a little bit slow right now. If it's the information that he's, that he's reading it differently or other teams are now getting better at reading that same information, could be that. You know, the power's a little bit down. Again, not a bad player. Still a great player. He had 25 homers entering Monday, 286 average, 868 OPS. Still a good player. And the fact that he can play the outfield, by the way, I don't think he's a bad outfielder. He's got a good arm. He makes the right decisions. You know, he's not the best. His range isn't great. He'll make mistakes here and there, but he's okay. You can use him in left field sometimes. His body just, will it hold up if he's playing the outfield? Probably not. So you're really more concerned with keeping him healthy. You want him to be your DH. He's not going to play the outfield. So get that out of your head. He's not going to play outfield. Not any more than 30, 40 games a year. Schwarber, I think you could. I mean, he's done it. You know, it's not pretty, but could he play left field at Fenway where you don't have to move a whole lot? Probably. Could he play first base? Maybe. He's looked okay over there. A lot of catchers move to first base and do it well. I'd, I'd bet more on Schwarber being flexible positionally. Do you keep them both next year? Maybe. They probably got about $30, $40 million to work with in the offseason. They're going to have some needs to fill. They're going to need some pitching badly. So not sure if that's the direction you want to go to keep them both. Um, but here's some stats for J.D. Martinez. Okay, He had the great April. Still had a pretty great May as well, if you look at it. Not as good as April, but a good May. All right. Since June 1st, from June 1st through September 5th, 13 homers and 337 plate appearances. Not great. That's a, a probably like 22 home run pace if he plays a full season. Because he's, he's, what's he going to get? 600 plate appearances? So not a lot of power. A 260 average, not great. A 315 on base percentage, bad. Cannot have that from your DH. A 795 OPS, come on. American League DH, got to be better. So that's June, July, August, and a little bit of September. Over three months, he's just been mediocre. He's just been a mediocre player. And when he got the age concerns and the injury concerns, to me, right now, if you had to ask me today, trade JD, re-sign Schwarber. Today. We'll see what happens. There's still a lot of things that can happen. You know, JD has a great impact on the clubhouse in terms of helping guys prepare. You know, there's no doubt he's still a tremendous player, a tremendous hitter. But if you got to pick one, I'd pick Schwarber today. All right, we always end the show on a positive note. I'll give you my quick positive for Monday. So Red Sox got Jose Iglesias back. The Angels released him. He's not having a great year. 259 average, 670 OPS, statistically terrible on defense, a minus 1.2 war this year. But I always thought Jose Iglesias is an underrated player to me. 
When he came up in 2011, he was the best shortstop I'd ever seen play. I'd watch. I would just stand on the field every day in batting practice and watch him take balls at shortstop because I'd never seen someone do it with more grace, with more agility and style. He was, at that time, the best shortstop I'd ever seen play. And there are some good shortstops in baseball right now. I think it definitely leans more towards offensive. You see a lot of guys like Bogarts, these 6'4 dudes who would have never played shortstop 10 years ago, 15 years ago, who now fit the game okay because they can handle the position fine. They're not great, but they handle it, and they hit 30 homers. Jose Iglesias is not that guy, and I get it. He's 31. He slowed down a little bit. I'm sure his range is different. But every time I watch this guy play, I still say, man, he can play short. He's still a good shortstop, and he takes good at bats. You know, when he came up, I said, this guy's awful offensively, and he was for the Red Sox. He was bad for the first two years he was there. All of a sudden, he hits 330 in 2013. You're like, whoa, he can actually hit? And the Red Sox traded him, of course, to get Jake Peavy, who they needed to win that World Series, so no regrets for the Red Sox. But he's gone on to have a pretty good career. All-star with the Tigers in 2015. Actually, a 276 hitter in the majors over 10 years for a guy who plays excellent shortstop. I think he's an underrated player, a good pickup. The Angels released him. Red Sox pick him up on Monday. They need depth. They need guys. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy makes an impact on the stretch in some way, maybe just off the bench, maybe just defensively. But that's my positive takeaway for Monday. The Red Sox get Jose Iglesias back. I think he's an underrated player. Keep an eye on that. That's all for today. We will have another show on Tuesday. The Red Sox start a series with the Rays. Chris Sale's on the mound. There's going to be a lot to talk about. You can follow me on Twitter at jmastrodonato. You could read my work in the Boston Herald. You can come back on Tuesday. Subscribe to the Locked On Podcast. We appreciate it. Leave us a review. Send us a note. Let us know what you think. And have a great day. We'll see you Tuesday. This episode was brought to you by Locked On Bets. Betting on sports doesn't have to be a guessing game. If you listen to Locked On Bets podcast, hosted by your boy Q, handicapping expert Lee Sterling, they give you their picks, their specials, the wrong team favored picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag, wherever you get your podcasts.